Good evening, I'm Ted Koppel. Surely everyone knows by now that Buckwheat is dead. But for those of you who have not seen the videotape of Buckwheat being shot, let's take a look. Ladies and gentlemen, you've heard the reports that enemy planes are approaching. In less than three hours, an H-bomb might fall over Portland. You see what he did? He french fried when he should have pizzaed. You french fry when you pizza, you're gonna have a bad time. Ty Webb. Kevy Longmire. Gustav Mateblanc. Is GLK London transmitting on the short wave band on 10.4 meters at a frequency of 250 megacycles per second? This is GLK London transmitting on the short wave band on 10.4 meters at a frequency of 250 megacycles per second. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Come on then, Plato, enlighten me. Well, guys, uh, it's just me, Gustav Monteblanc, this week. Heavy and Ty weren't able to get together with me. It's that time of year where things get busy, things get complicated. So I decided to uh, dip my toe into a little emergency preparedness talk this week. Uh, this is Can You Hear Me, a podcast that's normally three guys, but to this week it's just me. You can find me on Twitter at, at @realgustav, and you can email the show at canyouhearmepod at gmail.com. You can always find our back episodes on uh, canyouhearmepod.com and wherever on social media we're out there somewhere. Although I've been a little lax lately and haven't been updating all the uh, secondary items like Tumblr and Instagram and whatever. But this week I wanted to talk about emergency preparedness. That is a subject near and dear to my heart. And with all of the craziness going on that we've seen in the last year with disasters, such as the hurricanes and the wildfires out in California, and just the looming specter of the North Korean nuclear doom over our heads, or the possibility of the Yellowstone uh, supervolcano exploding on all of us, or maybe a comet or solar flare, what have you. It's important to be prepared for large-scale emergencies. And a good place to start is a 72-hour kit. Now, 72 hours, that's an arbitrary number, but it's a really good starting point for emergency preparedness. It's better than nothing at all, And it's realistic in its outlook that hard times might last longer than just a day or two. But it's not so overwhelming that you feel like you're going to be out back with Gustav digging a bunker in your backyard. Now, emergency preparedness has come a long way over the years. And right now, there's lots of companies out there that are ready and willing to sell you a ready-made 72-hour kit. Now, that may be right for you, but it may not be. Now, the benefit of these kits are that you don't have to try and track down all the items that you need. And oftentimes their food supply will have a very long shelf life, very temperature stable. You keep it at a nice, even room temperature. Don't let it get too hot, too cold. It's going to last for years and years. 
but they do have their downsides as well. You might not like the way the foods taste, or perhaps they don't agree with your GI tract in one way or the other. Or you could find that the gear is inferior when it comes time to actually use it, or that you may be missing key elements that you really wish you had when the proverbial shit hits the fan. Now, I'm personally a fan of the notion of staying put, if at all possible, in an emergency or disaster. But there's always the chance that you're going to have to be forced to evacuate or relocate when things go bad. So it's important that you design your 72-hour kit to fit both possibilities, both sheltering in place and having to leave your home. Now, we have basic needs that are key to uh, survival in any way, shape, or form. We need shelter from the elements. We need food, water, and this is no different. We have to come in here and address all of those items. Now, as far as the shelter goes, I'm not going to talk at length about that. If you've ever done much camping, you may already have a tent. You may have a tarp. Or, uh, in worst case, if you did have to leave your home, those are the things. Or perhaps you might be having to go to a shelter or something like that or a friend's house or someplace further down the road. Shelter I'm not as worried about in this scenario for the 72-hour kit. But I am worried about the food and the water and some other of the amenities that will tie into just feeling like a human and being comfortable. Now, first and foremost is water. You can go a while without eating. I could go several days and probably lose a few pounds, and I'd be all the better for it. But water, you only got a couple of days without that. I think we generally, as a rule, underestimate how much water we actually use, both for drinking, our food, and our sanitation. Now, a solid estimate that I've always seen in emergency preparedness documentation is one gallon of water per day for a person for both drinking, food prep, and sanitation. Now, that seems like a lot, but a gallon's not quite as much as you think it is when you start adding things up. Now, if I was going to be using freeze-dried foods for my food, I would probably even bump that number up a little bit higher, but your mileage may vary. Unfortunately, Water is bulky and sometimes very awkward to store. Now, you can always go to a uh, grocery store, or big box chain, or Sam's, or Costco, or someplace like that, and buy a big, giant pack of bottled water. That's a pretty easy way to get it really quick and have it already packaged up for you. And as long as you haven't torn open the plastic wrap that holds the whole thing together, it's relatively portable. Now, those pre-filled water bottles also have the added benefit of being bacteria-free, in theory. So, somebody's already sanitized it, packed it up, it's ready to go for you. So, that seems pretty great. Now, there's a couple of drawbacks here. Most bottled water bottles are very flimsy now. They're very thin. And their caps are not the most airtight. So, over time, you can have leakage if they get knocked over or pressed against. Or you can have evaporation, where literally your water supply is just going to disappear and you're going to have less than what you actually expected to be. I have, you know, at times thrown loose water bottles that were fully sealed into a um, milk carton that I keep out in the barn with all my camping gear. And then I've come back a month or two later, a year later sometimes, and the bottle will have actually shrunk down and there's maybe three quarters of what there was originally in it when I set it aside. So be aware of that. 
You could always buy one-gallon jugs of water also at the store. Now, jugs have the benefit of having a built-in carry handle, so it's a little bit easier to pick up, carry, put down someplace than a whole bunch of loose bottles or a big flat of uh, water bottles. But the lids are not very strong. Most of them are just a friction fit with that little um, plastic tab that you pull off to uh, loosen it. They're not screw-on, and those bottles are easily punctured. A long time ago, I'd picked up a few gallons and stuck them in a closet back with some other supplies. And one of those jugs got punctured at some point. I threw something in the closet and it leaked and ruined some other items. So be aware of the pitfalls of the loose jug of water. Now, if you've got a big shelf, you know, off in a pantry or something, and you can put a couple of gallons of those loose, uh, those jugs of water, that may work great for you. But if you need to move those jugs, they can easily be punctured. A more robust solution would be the hard plastic water container. Now, you can find both 7- and 5-gallon containers pretty regularly at places like Walmart or sporting goods stores. And you can probably find some other ones along the way, different sizes and shapes. Now, these sorts of containers have molded handles. So you've already got, you've got a carry handle there. And the plastic is much thicker and much more resistant to damage. Although... As you can well expect, I've poked holes in those too because I take them camping with me. That's what we usually pack up our water in in case we don't have water at a campsite or something. And I have thrown them back of the truck and punctured them as well. Now, in a pinch, I've slapped a piece of duct tape over them and headed on our merry way. And it's held long enough. Now, the main drawback that I see with these is that they can get very heavy if you fill them up. Now, a gallon of water weighs approximately 8 pounds, so a 7-gallon container is going to weigh about 56 pounds. Now, for you big he-men out there, that's no big deal, but for smaller folks or if you're injured or if you are um, sick, that could be a lot to handle. So bear in mind that that's not always the best solution, but they are stackable a lot of times, especially there's a, a, a blue style that's a 7-gallon that I use around the house that's stackable the spigot actually uh, inverts and so you don't have it where it can get broken off and they last a long time and uh, very handy you can load them up carry them where you need to put them in stack them up they work well for me now another drawback whenever you package your own water for water storage is the possibility that you have to worry about bacterial contamination most public water supplies are chlorinated but if you're on a well at your own home or maybe you're just not sure about it or you're just paranoid in general, you may want to add a little bit of non-scented pure bleach to your, uh, to your water container. According to the Jordan Valley Water Conservation District website, they recommend 16 drops of bleach per gallon of water if the water's cloudy, but only 8 drops per gallon if it's clear. Now, eight drops is not much. You might taste it a little bit. You can always open up the container and let it uh, decant for a little while, and some of that will evaporate off, but it's safe to drink. But no matter what method you use, whether you're buying water in bulk, small bottles, if you're buying one-gallon jugs, or if you're filling your own, it's imperative to rotate your stock every year. Now, that's easy to do with the smaller bottles, but if you are stocking up large containers, 
it takes a while and it takes a little forethought and time to, to go through that. But it's key to do that. You want to restock and keep it fresh. Now, once we've taken care of our water needs, that moves on to food. We currently have more options for food than ever before in the history of civilization. And it's no different for emergency preparedness. You can spend as much or as little as you want on food. But the main thing is to actually like what you're eating, at least in my opinion. As I mentioned before, you can purchase 72-hour kits, which will have three meals a day with X number of calories, and you'll be set. Oftentimes, they're even um, in a handy sealed bucket, so you have to do is grab it and go. Just in last week, I was looking at one of these at the local Winco grocery a few miles down the road. And much to my dismay, most of the food items weren't things that my family would even want to eat. You know, I've got a wife and three kids, so I need to be aware of their needs, not just a flat, basic, we need X number of calories a day. And when you think about it, 72 hours isn't that long. In fact, it's probably not long enough for me to get hungry enough to eat just anything that you put in front of me. Now, food storage for a long-duration disaster, that's a totally different story. If things are bad enough for long enough, I'll start eating oatmeal, but in the short term, I'd just be skipping breakfast right now. So for me, these pre-packed kits don't make a lot of sense, but they might be exactly what you and your family need. A lot of time, the pre-packed kits are also vegetarian. They might have a protein source, some type of soy-based protein, but it's not going to be any type of actual meat in there. So that's great if you're a vegetarian, but if you're accustomed to big slabs of steak or ham or anything else, you're probably going to be wanting a little bit. But again, it's just 72 hours for what we're talking about today. When I was a kid, my dad was in the National Guard and would bring home sea rations. Tells you how old I am, I guess. I can still taste those canned crackers. They weren't that bad. And later on, right before he was getting out, MREs came along, and they were a total game changer. MREs have come a long way since then, and there's a variety of different uh, entrees and accessories and everything. Now you can get full MRE packs, including the heaters, to warm up the pouches, or you can just buy the individual components. Now, online makes this super easy, but you can find them in some stores usually sporting goods places, maybe hunting stores. They have great shelf lives, and they're packed in calories since they are designed to keep our servicemen fueled for the task at hand. The downside is that they're relatively expensive compared to some of your other options, and they're a little bit bulky if I was going to have to pack them up in a backpack. Just like MREs have come a long way, backpacking food has also come a long way since I was a kid. Brands like Mountain House, Backpackers Pantry, Harmony House, they all offer up a, a wide range of, of dishes, including breakfast, lunch and dinner entrees, and even desserts in dehydrated or freeze-dried forms. You just add boiling water into the package and let it sit for a few minutes, and you have a tasty dish. One thing that I've learned uh, for backpacking is I've even made some cozies, out of a uh, fold-up reflective windshield cover to put the pouch in and let it sit with the heat so you're not losing as much heat that way and it warms it up a little bit faster. 
Due to their lack of water, these packages weigh very little, which is important if you had to leave your home and carry your food supply with you. And since you add the water directly to the pouch, cleanup is minimal. You just need a container to boil your water in, and that's pretty much it. The downside is, is they are not as cheap as some other options. And as we discussed in the water section, you will need additional water to rehydrate your food. So now that leaves us with the normal things you see on the shelves of your local supermarket. Right off the bat, you need to exclude things that don't have a long shelf life. And you need to consider packaging, durability, and fragility as well. Quote-unquote normal foods are the most economical and easiest to slowly build up a supply of. You can just buy a little extra each time you go shopping, and soon enough you'll have a full supply of food for your 72-hour kit without making a single sizable purchase. Now, as I mentioned earlier, if you need to leave your home with a 72-hour kit, you want to make sure it's portable. And for me, that means marking off anything that's made out of glass or has a real thin plastic wrapping, which could tear easily. So that's going to exclude most bread items, even if we weren't already excluding them for their short uh, shelf life. But there are some crackers out there that are uh, have a particular packaging that might lend itself to having to be packed up and evacuated with. I think it's very important to have food that your family will actually want to eat. By using normal food, you can ensure that it's more likely that they'll eat what you have. Canned goods are great for this, although they are heavy due to the water content. But that's probably a push since you would have to be compensating for the water to rehydrate dried foods anyway. Fruits, vegetables, meats, and pasta are all ready to go. Now, the sodium is generally pretty high in the non-fruit items, so be mindful of that if you or someone in your family has dietary restrictions. You can always warm canned foods up hobo style on a heat source, because let me tell you, warm food makes a big difference when things are bad. If you don't have a means to warm up your food, you're going to be like my middle child and just walking around eating cold ravioli straight from the can. I'm not prepared to be that savage if I if I have any choice in the matter. Now, there's plenty of other normal foods that have a long shelf life, such as peanut butter, granola bars, nuts, trail mixes, whatever, although they aren't indefinite. I've stuck back some cliff bars at times and gone maybe a year two years later and tried them and they're pretty inedible i gave them to the chickens to eat instead of me and they barely touched them for a while i'd also consider adding things like coffee tea or flavored mixes for your water supply just be sure not to mix them directly into your actual supply i've seen kids on boy scout campouts just dump a whole thing of a packet of gatorade or lemonade or something into their canteen not realizing they just made all of the water they had lemonade or Gatorade instead of putting it into a cup and mixing it up and still having other water for other needs. So be mindful of that. And it's always good for the morale of the group if you include some things like M&Ms or some other type of candy that will be good for a long time because that can really boost morale when things are bad. Just be sure not to go raid the 72-hour kit when you get a sweet tooth one afternoon when nothing's wrong at all, but you're just hungry for something. Now, if you're ambitious, you can dry, dehydrate your own foods, but your shelf life is going to be shorter without all those preservatives that commercial manufacturers add to their foods. I have a, dry, a dehydrator that I've dehydrated fruits, veggies, and meat with, and uh, 
again, you're going to be adding water back to those. Now, one thing that I like to do is uh, I've, I like to use a vacuum sealer. And that can be real handy in packing up your own dehydrated items as well as splitting up bulkier commercial food into smaller groups. I don't mind vacuum sealing fruits and veggies and leaving them at room temperature once I've dehydrated them, but I do seal and freeze my meats that I've dehydrated. They sell them at most stores with any kitchen items, but I found mine for just a few dollars at the thrift store and it works well. So now I'd like to turn towards the subject of gear. Now, I know that in our audience, we've got quite a few what people that I would classify as gearheads that really like their their tools, their knives, their flashlights, their guns, all that good stuff. And I don't want to get bogged down on too much of that. I like all that stuff too, but let's keep it real high level. Now, if you're at your home during a disaster, you probably have just about everything you already need there. But in the event you had to leave, you need to be prepared to take a few essential items. This is not a comprehensive list at this point. These are just things that I want to point out and give my input. Everybody's going to have a few more things they're going to add to this. And I respect that. And I actually would like to hear what, what your opinions are. So be sure to email us at canyouhearmepod at gmail.com with your feedback or reach us on Twitter. One of the most important things I think in a disaster or an emergency is having lighting. Uh, flashlights are a pure dream for gearheads. You can spend a lot of money on flashlights and a good flashlight is great. But just be sure you have spare batteries for them. If you have a flashlight that's using a less common battery, I would probably pack two. If you're using a flashlight that has a more common thing, I would pack a big pack of them if you've got AA or AAAs. Because you're probably going to be able to use those for other things. Just don't go stealing the batteries out of your 72-hour kit. you got to learn to... Leave that 72-hour kit alone unless you're rotating stock. One of the things that I like to pick up, especially since I have kids, are the cheap flashlights. They're LED flashlights that are, I think, a dollar now at most, you know, Walmart or Harbor Freight or something like that. And speaking of Harbor Freight, you can always pick up flashlights with their free coupon, which are always good to handle. You know, the kids lose the flashlights, they break them. Those dollar flashlights aren't great. But for 72 hours, and if there's several of them, it's going to work just fine compared to a $100 flashlight that my kid may leave behind or drop somewhere or whatnot. Another thing that I'm a big proponent of are battery-powered lanterns, especially for this sort of situation. They create more of a sense of normalcy and allow you to sit the lantern down and use both hands. It's tough. You know, you may have a clip-on light, you may have a hat light or even glasses, uh, you know, safety glasses with the lights on them. But being able to just put that lantern down, you get light 360 degrees. It just makes things seem more normal. Now, I'm not a fan of other types of lanterns for 72-hour kits. Don't get me wrong. I love kerosene lanterns and coal oil lanterns. I own plenty of, of uh, Coleman fuel lanterns, but... That's not what I want for a 72-hour kit. If you've got those at your house and you have them, you know, for camping or for just your home use, that's great. But that's not something I'm going to evacuate with because the glass globe is problematic and it's bulky too. 
A lot of dollar stores sell glow sticks, and I pick them up whenever I stop at one. They're a source of fast, safe light, especially for the little kids. But they are expendable, however. You know, they're only going to last six, eight hours. And they don't put out a lot of light. But in a pinch, they can be very handy and quickly deployed. And your kids love them. I'm also a big proponent of the battery-powered LED glow sticks. But the batteries can fail on you. And, you know, they're not as bulletproof as the short-lived regular glow sticks. But both of them are a good addition to your 72-hour kit. And as old school as I am, I'm not crazy about it, but I'm not opposed to keeping some emergency emergency candles in your kit. But I really see them as a last resort. The potential for fire hazard, especially with kids or pets, is pretty high. And they they have a place, especially at home, but on the road, they're kind of a last resort to me. We talked a lot about food, but we didn't talk a whole lot about cooking. If you do any backpacking or camping, you may already have a small backpacking stove. Now, you can spend a lot of money on those. And they make some that barely weigh anything. And they make them with different types of fuel and everything like that. To keep it simple, I like the butane stoves. For a few dollars, you can order a cheap knockoff of the more expensive industry standards which will fit in your pocket. The fuel canisters can be found in most sporting goods departments, and they'll boil water in a few minutes. Now, the larger stoves using propane cylinders can also be found all over the place, but they take up more room and weigh a bit more, but they're also good options. Now, if you're just trying to do this on a budget, an alternative to those stoves would be a can of Sterno. They'll heat, but it would be a little bit harder to boil water. I'm not even sure I even have before. That might be an experiment I need to do. Sterno can be found at just about any grocery store, so it's pretty readily available and it's not very expensive. Be sure to pack a can opener. Or actually, be sure to pack two can openers now that I think about it. I'm not talking about the can opener you plug in, obviously. I'm talking about the old school manual crank candle can opener. That would be my primary can opener. And you can pick those up at Walmart, dollar stores, wherever. Just make sure it works. Try it out. Learn how to use it. I'd also have a can opener on a multi-tool or on a Swiss Army knife. Again, make sure you know how to do that before you get into the field and actually need it. And there's the tried-and-true P-38 can opener that the military has issued for as long as anybody can remember. You can get those at Army Navy surplus stores, gun shows, the Internet, maybe your uncle who was in the war. I don't know. Find them, learn how to use that one too. It works great. You also need to have at least two ways to start a fire. Now, ideally, a lighter is going to be your your number one choice because that's going to work the easiest. But also consider having matches. Now, if you use matches, remember there's two types of matches. There's strike anywhere matches, very hard to find now, or there's strike on the box matches caveat to matches are to make sure you've got a way to strike them. Now, obviously, the strike anywhere matches, as the name implies, you have a lot more options. But the strike on box matches, you need that actual strip off the box. So if you put these matches into a match container, make sure that you've got the strip to strike them on with it. The other aspect for cooking 
and I mentioned this a little bit when we talked about dehydrated food, was to have a container with a lid to boil water. Now, I think you need that even if you don't have dehydrated food because it's just useful to have. It doesn't have to be large, just large enough to boil the water that you need for your food or your drinks. Don't underestimate the power of hot chocolate or warm tea or some instant coffee for your group's morale when things are bad, especially if it's cold. And, of course, don't forget your utensils for yourself and your group. You don't need the entire kitchen drawer full of spatulas and potato mashers and all that good stuff, but you need knife and fork and a spoon. Another thing to consider is sanitation. Imagine going through one of the hardest times of your life and you don't have any toilet paper. You're pretty much going to be wondering, can things get any worse? So be sure to have toilet paper. Have extra toilet paper at your house, just in general, but pack toilet paper in your 72-hour kit. Now, you can always dig a hole or even just squat out in the woods, but if you don't have toilet paper... You're going to have a bad time. So it's key. Now, if you're at home or if you've had to take it on the road, a five-gallon plastic bucket with a lid can also be very handy when nature calls and there's no running water. You know, they even make special toilet seats that fit a five-gallon bucket if you want that deluxe experience. But buckets are cheap. You can even probably beg some of those from the... uh local bakery or something they use for their icing. Now, once you've done your business, you're going to want to get cleaned up now. So unscented baby wipes are a godsend, as well as alcohol-based hand sanitizer, which I might add, you can also use to maybe start a fire. It's always good to know. And the baby wipes and sanitizer will keep you fresh as a daisy when you're out in the field. Now, it's easy for us guys to lose sight of it, but if you have ladies in your group, don't forget their feminine hygiene needs because you don't want to have an emergency and have that kick in without being prepared, so you're going to have a bad time there if you forget that. I'd also recommend packing some heavy-duty 39 or 44-gallon trash bags with the drawstring uh, closure just to take care of anything trash wise you might have or if in a pinch if you're outside in the elements you can always put gear into the trash bags and if it's really bad you can form up a really primitive uh, shelter out of them in a worst case scenario and be sure to have a basic first aid kit if not an advanced first aid kit i'm not talking about being ready to do field surgery and ordering saline for ivs from canada but you know We have access to things like quick clot now that can really stop severe bleeding that we didn't have a long time ago. They have speed tourniquets now. But I stress to you, if you step into that level of first aid, learn how to use it. Learn what you shouldn't do because you can actually do more harm. But take the time to do your research online like we did. You know, I'm in my early 40s now i have prescription medication my family has prescription medication so if you're going to have a need for that sort of thing you need to have at least 72 hours worth of medicine if not longer 
in your 72-hour kit. Again, this is something you absolutely need to rotate out. You don't want to leave that stuck in there. Most pills have a pretty good shelf life, but there are some drugs that have binding agents that do go bad and can cause toxicity. So be sure to rotate your medicine out aggressively. And, you know, just basic over-the-counter medicine like Imodium, Tylenol, and Benadryl can be a lifesaver if you're having trouble like diarrhea, fever, or some type of allergic reaction. So don't overlook that. So we've talked, you know, we've talked food, we've talked water, we've talked sanitation. Now we're going to get into some miscellaneous stuff. Again, this is not a comprehensive list. Everybody's going to have something else they would add to it or maybe even shoot down. But I want to I wanna just hit these high buttons here, and then we'll kind of wrap things up. I've mentioned a couple of times, if you've got camping gear, you're already kind of on the path to preparedness. You just didn't even know it. So if you do have to evacuate and you've got a tent, you're already set there. you got sleeping bags. You're already good. you probably got some tarps. They can be very handy. If you don't have that sort of thing, I'm not telling you to go get that for your 72-hour kit, but... Just be mindful that if you don't have that, you can always pack your blankets, sheets, some plastic sheathing like um, you might use for uh, drop cloths and things like that when you're painting. You can use things in a pinch or you can modify things. One thing you can't modify, and this is very important, I'm not saying to go spend a lot of money, but just buy something that's actually decent. Knives and multi-tools are essential, preferably two, maybe one of a standard knife and one of a multi-tool. Multi-tools are great in the sense that they give you, you know, all these various tools in one compact thing that you can carry with you, a pair of pliers, a screwdriver, you know, all this stuff. Now, individually, compared to a regular screwdriver or a regular pair of pliers, it's not that great, but the benefit is that it's all there and you've got it in one specific spot. Knives, you know, again, we got a lot of knife snobs out there, and I respect you, but you just need something that'll do the job. For what we're talking about here, put it away in that 72-hour kit. Don't think about it. You pick it up if you need it. I'd rather have a $20 knife in there than a $300 super knife, okay? So just do what you feel is comfortable there, but pack your knives. A really good thing to have in an emergency situation is a battery or crank-powered radio, preferably with a NOAA uh, channel that can pick up the weather radio. You know, it's going to give you updates on your situation. I know I've sat with the power off listening to the sirens go off for tornadoes, and we had the you know battery-powered radio. We could hear what was going on and get the, uh, the updates there. So it's very important. Again, if you are using a battery-powered radio, pack extra batteries that are specific for that radio. And rotate your batteries out. You know, don't let them go bad because you've let them sit for 10 years. Rotate it out. Now, one thing that's relatively new is the idea of having a flash drive, a USB drive, with your scans or pictures or documents that you may need. So, you know... Scanning your driver's license, scanning your passport, all that sort of thing, immunization records, things like that. 
just be careful and don't lose it. Now, I know some folks that are serious about this, and they actually have it to be a, a bootable drive, and it's got a lot more on it. I'm just saying get the basic things that you may need. I would suggest that putting a lanyard or a string, you know, sturdy cord onto it so you don't lose it, so you can keep up with it, because they're very small. They're very easily to lo- easy to lose. It goes without saying you need cash, preferably in small bills. I'm not saying pack, uh, you know, gold Krugerrands or anything, because that's hard to uh, hard to turn into. But if you need ten dollars, twenty dollars, five dollars, it's good to have that. I'd also recommend having prepaid calling card. That way, you get someplace, your cell phone's dead, but you can call and communicate. Now, I would recommend a pen and paper with all those written down phone numbers that you may need. If your phone's dead, how many numbers do you actually remember anymore? Look, I got a new home phone number about six years ago, and I still don't remember what it is. It's in my phone, but I don't know what it is. So you need these things written down. Speaking of phones going dead, there's no excuse not to have a backup cell phone battery bank, charger, and cable in your 72-hour kit. You know, they're very cheap now, and they even have some that aren't as cheap that have solar-powered capabilities. Again, you'd want to kind of keep that rotated out. I'd recommend having them, uh, a couple of them that you could switch out, charge up, switch out. That way you always have it ready to go. We're so in tune with having our phones and having our TVs and our computers and everything now that if things did go bad and we're without power, without services, people are going to be pretty bored, and they're going to be very uh, anxious. So I recommend packing a deck of cards. It won't take much, and that way you can play either solitaire by yourself or you can play cards with other folks. And if you've got small kids, think about maybe some small toys like Lego men or that sort of thing or coloring books or crayons for them to, and crayons for them to use just to pass the time. I won't go into all the possibilities of things you might need to fix things, but duct tape is something that you can really save your bacon if it falls into the fire. Uh, I've fixed boots with duct tape. I've fixed backpacks. I've fixed uh, just all sorts of things, glasses even, I think, one time. So that's good to have. There's so many more things, and I'm not even going to go into um, some of the more extreme things. You know, some people talk about backpacks for 72-hour kits. And while I see there's a place for that, I've got to admit, I'm not a fan of the idea of the bug-out bag. To me, that implies that you're on foot or you're no longer in control of your own movement, which is a worst possible case scenario. I mean, it might happen, but if it does, I'd be shifting my kit, which I'm storing in something else, into one of my existing backpacks, but only then. For the rest of the time, I would look at storing my kits in either five or seven gallon buckets with lids or in stackable rubber totes, preferably with handles to make carrying things easier. You know, totes and buckets can be stacked and are rodent and pest proof, so you can store them wherever you want. I can't say the same about backpacks. If I was to load up a pack full of food and water and stick it out in my barn there's a chance that some field rats are going to crawl into it and eat all my M&Ms and my crackers and my dehydrated food. 
And if things did hit the fan, then I'm going to be very upset and disappointed. Whereas if they're sealed up in plastic containers, it's much less likely anything's going to get in there and eat them. Now, having backpacks at the ready, that's good to do. But I'm not looking at it for my personal situation. Again, I have kids and... I'm going to be hoping that if we do have to leave, we're going to be in a vehicle and not on foot. We're just touching on the high-level stuff here. And I don't want to get into more worst-case items like axes and firearms. There's a place for things like that. But I want to ease people into the basics of emergency preparedness and not get bogged down on a bunch of gear-specific banter. I do want to stress, however, that people should always try the foods that they're planning on using in their kits and shout from the rooftop so loud that everyone can hear me to test out and learn how to use any tools or gear that you've included in your 72-hour kit. When you have an emergency and you absolutely need something to work, it's not the time to be trying to figure out how the hell the fancy gadget you bought from some site on the Internet is supposed to work. That's when you want to know and trust your gear. So this is Gustav Monteblanc. And uh, I just want to remind you to be prepared for the worst so you can hope for the best. And we'll be back next week with a full episode with at least heavy, maybe time, not sure yet. We'll just have to see how that goes. And I guess we'll talk to you later. Adios. Bye. This is an austerity type shelter. It has a capacity of 50 people. It is safe. The food is nutritious. The water is pure. Each occupant has room enough to sleep. The medical supplies are sufficient to cope with most common ailments. And the sanitary facilities are adequate. The following urgent message is transmitted at the request of Marinette County Emergency Management. On July 18, 2008, at approximately 12.30 p.m., there was an accident involving a methanol tanker at the intersection of Highway 141 and Town Corner Road in the town of Amberg. At this time the tanker is burning. Persons within an eight and one half mile radius of this intersection need to shelter in place and await further instructions. Instructions include stay calm, go indoors immediately and stay indoors, close all windows and doors, turn off all ventilation, heating, air conditioning and close fireplaces, seal cracks around doors and windows with tape or wet towels. Listen to radio, TV, or all hazards radio for further instructions. Wait for the all clear by public safety officials. And world-class championship wrestling. I'm Bill Mercer with Jay Sally. Good night from Dallas, Texas.